Hello and welcome to Wine Blast with me, Susie Barry, and my husband and fellow master of wine, Peter Richards. And in this episode, we're going au naturel. <laughs> Are we not? <laughs> There's a reason we're not videoing this one. No, no. Uh, banish that image from your minds. We are as presentable as ever. Uh, of course. Just, of course, referring to the fact that we're turning our attention to natural wine, because uh, it's a big issue. Indeed it is. Uh, we are tackling it as well, I think, head on. Yeah, we, we need we need more transparency, because I think then people would can have a powerful choice and decide, actually, this is what I want to put in my body or uh, this is not what I want to be drinking. Big topics, big issues. Yes, we are talking with none other than natural wine crusader, in her own words, Isabel Legeron MW, who's a global authority on the subject, uh, and also to Mel Xenaki from natural wine producer Tetramithos in Greece. Yep, we'll also find time to taste and recommend a couple of natural wines. And if we remember, we might also share a cheeky discount Um, code. Can't wait, can't wait. But before we start, um, this theme of natural wine does actually follow on quite nicely from our last episode, doesn't it? Um, it does, yeah. When we talked to the guys in Georgia yeah. about their wines and also what was happening in, in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and John John Werderman, who we spoke to, is a big cheese on the natural wine he scene, is, isn't he? he? Is. With his pheasants, tears, wines that were real trailblazers. Mm. Um, and a couple of the wines we're going to be tasting are from Georgia, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. No. Uh, we're going to hold off. Well, we might have a few <laughs> Hold off on the wine for a moment. Well, we... Well, while we're doing the programme. But yeah, um, equally, we did just want to say thank you to everyone for the great response to that episode on Georgia and Ukraine, didn't we? Um, yeah. I think there's been there's been such a sort of outpouring of support and concern um, and generosity on the Ukraine front, you know, all across the wine world. Um, across well, the world, frankly, but, um, but definitely Absolutely, but just, you know, focusing on wine. Where we're, there are yeah, wineries involved. taking people in, um, refugees, there's auctions in aid of Ukraine popping up everywhere. Mm. Um, it's well worth checking them out if you're a wine lover. So um, there was a good piece in Decanter, I think, there was, which we can wasn't put there? a link to, which yeah. kind of summarises a lot of the activity and how people can how can people support. can support. And I see the Vintners Company, which you are a member of, of course, has just raised over over £100,000 for the Disasters Emergency yeah. Committee, which mm. is amazing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. If everyone's doing that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's great. Anyway, back to the topic at hand, natural wine. And partly the reason we're looking into this now is that we had a question, didn't we, mm, as follows. Hi, Susie and Peter. My name is Nick. I have a question for you about natural wine. I'd like to know what makes a wine a natural wine. And I'd also like to know why we have seen a massive upturn in the number of natural wine shops and bars the world over these past few years. And secondly, will the romance of the old, traditional and more natural ways of winemaking be something that we continue to see winemakers pursue in the coming years? Thank you. Thanks, Nick. It's a great question and one there's a lot of interest in. Um, also, I think it's fair to say a fair amount of confusion and misunderstanding mm. too. Yeah, yeah. Know. I mean, natural wine is is a rare thing in wine, isn't it, that gets people genuinely hot under the collar, both in a good yeah. and and a bad way. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, even if and and perhaps actually because uh, people often s- mean slightly different things when they say natural wine. <laughs> yeah, don't they? I think they do. So I think I think the best thing to do at this stage. Uh, it's just to jump straight into my chat with with Isabel Legeron. Um Isabel is a fellow master of wine and the founder of Raw Wine, uh, which started out as an event showcasing natural wines in the UK, and which has gone on to go global, hasn't it? And done yeah. they do lots of things, um, including selling natural wine, uh, and they're just launching now a wine club in the US. Aren't yeah, they? so we'll come on to that in a bit, but do check out the events. Mm. There's uh, there's one coming up in LA, and Raw Wine Week runs from the 24th of March to the 5th of April mm. in New York and LA. Mm. That said, the Raw events do run year round in North America and Europe. Um, well. Pandemics permitting, of course. Yeah, they've had a couple of tough couple of years, haven't they? But they're back on track, it seems, which is great. Now, did you know that Isabel was brought up on a vineyard? I didn't know that in your interview in in southwest France. Mm. Um, And she's been banging the natural wine drum for more than a decade, having launched Raw Wine uh, in 2012. Um, She's also written a masterful book, Natural Wine, by Seco Books, um, and that's well worth checking out. Um, But I started by putting Nick's first question to her: What makes a wine? natural so natural wine um doesn't have a, a, an official definition okay so the definition i'm going to give you is is really my take on 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 natural wine so for me natural wine is um a two-part process they are wines that are made from grapes 
that are farmed organically and or biodynamically at, at the very minimum, because you can go, you know, way, way more uh, than, than just farming organically, but the grapes have got to be organic. And the process in the cellar has to be uh, very, I would say, hands off. Um, so when the grapes come in, they have to ferment by themselves on their own yeast population. Um, and then they, the, 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 the vignon, the wine grower, doesn't add any sulfites throughout the whole process. Um, the, the, they, they don't fine, they don't filter, they don't add enzymes, vitamins, you know, all sorts of, of you know, there are dozens of, of additives that can be added in the cellar. Uh, and so basically it's grape juice that is fermented into alcohol and and bottled. It's interesting, isn't it, that natural wine is not the easiest to define or agree upon what exactly it is. Could you also start at it from the point of view of what, what is not a natural wine? So, you know, for me, a natural wine, and that really is the conclusion that I, I, I came to when I wrote my book, is, is about the living. Uh, natural wine has to respect the living. And by that, what I mean is that when, when you ferment any, any beverage, you know, you can do it at home. I, I, I live in the UK, so I don't have access to grapes, but I, I still ferment tons of stuff. Um, and when you make, whether it's kombucha, uh, kefir, uh, mead, or whatever, what you do is, 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 is you, you let yeast populations that love sugar do their work and basically together with bacteria they 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 consume the sugar they transform it into 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 alcohol um and a, you know alcoholic beverage and in that process they create a living product because there are still i mean the, the yeast will die so so most of the yeast actually will be dead uh there'll be cells but the bacteria will be still there and then the bacteria is still alive so when you when you make a wine and you just use the bacterial and, and yeast population which is naturally present and you bottle that, you've got living stuff inside. You know the wine carries on living. If, on the other hand, you have a much more interventional approach to winemaking, where you a you add your yeast population so you control that, uh, but then at every stage you will make sure that that the product is as sterile in a way as as possible. So you will add. A lot of sulfites they will kill off the bacteria um, and you really sort of knock the, the yeast on the heads you will sterile filter so whatever life there might have been left as part of that process will be filtered away anyway and 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 you have to know that that um, wine sometimes can be more filtered than sterile filter than, than even water um, so what you get at the other at the other end of the process is I would say a lifeless sterile product um, which is very different from, from, you know, something which is natural and, and, and alive. Um, so when you make conventional wine, you can add tons of additives, you can do loads of processes, and, and basically you can interfere at every stage of the winemaking process to shape exactly the, the type of wine and the flavours that, that you want. Mm. Now, the fact it's a living product at the end of it also implies a certain sense of inconsistency, for want of a better word. You know, one bottle could be different from another at different times versus, I guess, a lot of the people who are making slightly more processed wine, if we say it that way, are aiming for a consistent product. Now, you know, obviously there is an inherent risk in that variability. Some bottles might develop one way and some might not. Is that just part you have to accept that as part of natural wine? I think that um, statement is is a little bit over exaggerated, to be honest, because I don't I wouldn't call it inconsistencies. I think what you have is you have a lot more vintage variations. That's for sure, for, from one year to another, because you don't resort to micro oxygenation or reverse osmosis or, or you know certain certain tools uh, that that can actually just make your product a lot more homogeneous. Um, but I would say that because it is alive, you know, you you do you can have it's a lot more sensitive to, to pressure, for example, atmospheric pressure. Uh, you, you know, if you follow the lunar calendar, you, you know, you can have more, it can have an impact on, on, on the profile, uh, on the flavor profile because of the, you know, the, the, the pulling forces of, 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 you know, the lunar cycle and so on. But um, I think at the end of the day, you will have something that might be a little bit different from one bottle to another. But in my experience, you know, one bottling is actually, you know, if you keep it in the, in the, in the, proper conditions which you should do for any wine anyway it's i i don't find that that level of inconsistencies that you know a lot of critics say or oh, they you know one bottle can be very different from another bottle in my experience that's not the case but i think we have to reframe our expectation of wine you know we now expect wine to be 
one thing, you know, it has to be stable, it has to be sitting on the shelf and then drink the same, you know, year after year. But wine, when wine was created, you know, wine was always an agricultural drink and it's more, it's more like a cheese or a sourdough bread than, than, than it should be of just like a, an inert drink. Yes, it was interesting in your book that you, you make that comparison with cheese, the way we think about cheese and, and, and perhaps we should think about natural wine in, in the same way. I mean, you also say uh, one statement in your book that struck me was the best way to enjoy natural wines is to try to forget everything you, kn- you think you know about wine and start afresh. Now, on the one hand, that's, that's wonderful and I, and I applaud that. But also, on the other hand, you can argue, is it not just sort of shifting the goalpost a little bit to say anything goes? No, this is not what I meant. Uh, what I meant by that is, is that, you know, I think as a wine industry, we get trained into thinking, okay, you know, this is, and you know, for the master of wine, you know, it's like, okay, this is what a textbook Sauvignon Blanc should be tasting like. And then in your head, you know exactly what a, t- a Sauvignon Blanc really should be tasting like. But really in your head, what you have as a Sauvignon Blanc is something which is pale, crisp acidity, uh, almost greenish, you know, in acidity, very lime, lime, very aromatic, and probably you, you, you know, something that comes from New Zealand or, or, or Sancerre, and 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 in our head, this is what a Sauvignon should should be tasting like. And and to me, that is really that that is wrong because on of course I understand that we need to be able to have some framework and knowledge and terroir and soil and all of that is incredibly important. But at the same time, I think it mustn't dominate us to the point where we can't see beyond that. And anything which doesn't taste or doesn't look pale, doesn't taste citrusy, doesn't have a linear texture, but is on the contrary really opulent and, and, and creamy and looks gold, that can also be a Sauvignon Blanc. Um, and I think sometimes those expectations get in the way of, of our enjoyment of, of stuff, wines that can be actually a bit different and, and you know a different expression of that grape variety. That's, that's really interesting. Perhaps zoning in on quality for, along the same lines, you, you, you have said only natural wine can be great. Um, do you mean that non-natural wines can't be great or am I misinterpreting that? So what I mean by that is that, in my opinion, and you, you can, you, again, we can break it down into two parts. You know, A, I think, I think in order to achieve greatness, you need to have uh, organic viticulture. Um, I, unless you have the connection between the vine, the soil, unless, and which means you have to have living soils, which means you cannot be using, um, you know, uh, weed killers. You cannot be using w- whatever it is that people use in, in conventional uh, agriculture and, and that renders the soils rock hard and completely inert. So that's the one thing. And, and I think you cannot claim greatness unless really there is something amazing going on in, 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 in the vineyard. And then to me, you can't beat the... Um, you know, the, 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 the very slow fermentation that happens with millions of different yeast strains that kind of take over the one after the other, um, rather than one single yeast strain that will just ferment the juice, you know, very neatly in 10 days. Uh, and then you move on and then you add vitamins and enzymes and, and, and so on. I really believe that if you, if you let nature take its course and you let nature's microbiology you know carry on the alcoholic fermentation and carry on the stabilization process that might take one year or two years i don't think you can reproduce that level of greatness unless you know if you use yeast controlled you know your whole everything that can be be used because in at the end of the day you're not really letting nature express itself you're just trying to achieve something you're trying to you're trying to fit you know you, you have an idea of what the wine should be like and this is what you're trying to achieve mm. and to me that's it's just not, not what makes sense to me you know to me i think we should just nature has it worked out and as long as you really do the work in the vineyard i think you can really achieve greatness in the cellar uh, but yeah but the two go together do you think we'll see over time more and more practices of the kind espoused and championed by natural winemakers from organics to biodynamics to lowering sulfur to minimal intervention in the cellar? Do you think we'll see that um, affecting uh, mainstream wine more and more? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think for, for a number of reasons. I mean, you, you know, first of all, the, the, the wine drinker um, is more and more demanding. And I think particularly the, the younger uh, wine drinker, uh, people, you know, young people who actually don't really get very excited by wine uh, and go more towards cocktails or, or craft beers are very interested by the natural wine movement uh, because they want ethics. They they want something which 
champions the environment, which is something that you know I think is quite strong and 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 is quite a, a, dry, a big motivator behind buying wine, you know, for for young people. Um, I think that uh, so so people are asking more and more questions, and they're more and more educated. So you know, ten years ago. If people didn't really talk about natural wine and people didn't really have this idea that actually wine was made with loads of additive and it was not just grape juice. So this is still the mainstream thinking process. I'm sure if you go out on the street where you are, that you know, in Winchester and you ask people how is wine made, people will just say, oh, it's just grape juice. So I think that's shifting a little bit. Um, and then I think people are realizing more and more that the work in the vineyard has a huge impact on the quality in, 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 in the cellar. Um, and so I think there's a recognition for organic and biodynamic amongst big names, and people are, 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 are making that move. There's also a lot of pressure in terms of water resources, so we have to be smarter in terms of what we use and how much water we use, you know, for, for, for growing grapes. Uh, similarly, for water pollution, you know, I think there is a general move towards uh, cleaner agriculture anyway, um, even though we really like behind because I think it's like 6-7% of the whole, all vineyards are farmed organically, so it's not very much. And in terms of sulfites, in terms of additives, again, I think consumers are a lot more, they're a lot more clued up. You know, people turn up at the fair and they're like, you know, they already know all, all that's going on because everything in transparent, you can have access to the internet, to the information. You can look, at, look up websites that make up additives and you, you understand more and more. So then you have more and more of a choice in terms of what you're drinking. And I think that's, that's changing the way people are making wine. It does seem as if sort of ever bigger producers are getting into making natural wine or natural wine a bit, which sort of can jar a bit, can't it? Because you tend to think of uh, you know, this is a small family scale type thing ordinarily, but you know there are bigger people making you know large volume sort of zero sulfur or, or so called natural or, or biodynamic or vegan, whatever it is. How does that sit with you? Yeah, that's. I think that's the next big challenge. Is which is why I think being able to really define properly what natural wine means is. is is important. Um, I think it's great that people are moving towards organic, they're moving towards less additives. I think that's brilliant. Um, I think, you know, there is a, an issue of vocabulary now because uh, I believe that people are getting more and more confused. You know, what is natural, low interventions, all like clean, you know, this is a new thing now, clean wine. What does that even mean? You know, it's like sustainable. What does that actually even mean? Um, but I, I welcome, I welcome the move, of course, because I think it's, it's, it's good that people are, you know, it's a good marketing word, you know, unfortunately, you know, natural wine does sell. Um, all the growers who come to the fair, you know, they tend to sell out of, of their wine pretty, pretty quickly. Um, so I welcome the mood, the move, but I think we just need to sort of be careful in terms of the vocabulary or, or so we don't make, you know, I see so many growers who want to, big growers who come, who are trying to apply to come to the fair and they send me samples and there's nothing, you know, this wine has nothing to do with being any vague, you know, vaguely natural, but in their head, they think it is natural just because it's a zero, zero. So yeah, it's, it's a bit messy, a bit messy. So it will need to, a, a bit of decanting, I think and it will sort itself out hopefully. Why do you think we've seen um, the number of natural wine shops and bars around the world really, really grow in recent times? Because there's a huge demand for it. You know, honestly, when, when I created, you know, raw wine in 20, 2012 now, 10 years ago, I had no idea it would actually grow into what it is now. Um, you know, I think that it, there, is a, there is a demand for it. I think it's, it's following on the path of, you know, your sourdough bread and your, your craft beer, although craft beers should be another conversation because what is a craft beer really? It doesn't really mean anything anymore. But, um, you know, it's falling on the footsteps of, 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 of that, you know, where wine drinkers or, or food lovers are more and more aware of what they're drinking. They, 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 they're looking for something which is maybe more authentic, which takes a lot of the boxes of their ethics requirements. Uh, they also, I think it's the shop local. So it's also about supporting your, your, your small independent uh, wine shop, wine bar. Um, and I think, you know, as a result, you know, there's a demand and there's a huge growth. And, and you know, I mean, look, you know, when, when we started working in, in LA, there was not much of a scene a few years ago, and now it's, it's booming. Uh, but it is an urban phenomenon, you know, it's, it's more something that happens in cities for, for, I would say, a younger generation, younger drinkers. Mm. What's the future then for for natural wine? I mean, do we have an idea about how big the category is and 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 what the its influence might end up being? 
I think, you know, I think it's um, when you look at the press and when you Google natural wine, I think it, it, it feels a lot bigger than actually it is. Uh, because what we're really talking about is a few hundred growers uh, who, who work that way. So I don't think, I think it's always going to remain niche. But I think what's been amazing is that I think the impact and the, the reverberation of natural wine has been much, much greater uh, than its actual volume or value uh, in, in, in the market. Um, so I think the future is, you know, the future is amazing. You know, I, I see so many young producers who are taking over from their family, who are just, you know, who are converting the, the, the farm, who then are making, you know, natural wine um, and who are finding a market. You know, if you make a really good wine and you have the ethics and you farm properly and then you can communicate about it, you can sell your wine actually very easily. You know, there is, I, I get questions from importers, for example, in the US saying, I need more wine. Can you recommend more growers? So it's a very buoyant market um, and it's, it's amazing because it means it can give a really decent living to a young person starting up uh, in, in you know, making wine, which 15 years ago would have been a very different story. Where does sustainability uh, fit into the natural wine picture? You know, it's, it's all very well, for example, going organic. But if that means you have to go out to spray your vines more, that means more diesel emissions potentially from the tractor. So obviously it's, it's a complicated picture. But where does sustainability fit in the, in the natural wine picture? Does it crop up in, in the definition, for example? Yeah, no, it doesn't. I wouldn't say it doesn't. It, I, would, I wouldn't say it crops up in, in the definition. I mean, it, it, it is a big part of it um, because people are, are acutely aware of it. It's not something necessarily growers will talk about it because I think one of the things with, with natural wine producers or even organic biodynamic producers is you know they do the work in the vineyard and they don't really spend a lot of time talking at conferences and using big big words but it, but if you start talking to growers um about you know the for example the, the fact that when you have living soil you know it actually sequests a lot more carbon um so so a lot of that is compensated uh, you know yes the use of the tractor is 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 more but a lot of that is actually compensated in the whole cycle a lot you know people tend to use um, lightweight bottles, um, you, you know, they, they don't tend to travel that much. They, so, so, so there's, you know, I've done a lot of work on carbon footprint uh, with some of our growers um, to assess their, their footprint and, and, and look at, you know, the average is much below, um, I would say, the, 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 the normal average. Mm. Um, so it is, it, it is a big conversation to have, and I think it's something to bear in mind. You know, I we, we've assessed our carbon footprint of putting up together a fair, you know, and now we're looking at how can we actually, um, you know, with everybody flying in, where people are flying in from, how much wine we're shipping and all of this, and then how can we offset that? So sustainability is, is, is really at the heart of, 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 of the natural wine conversation. But like I said, I think people are much more living it rather than necessarily shouting about it. You know, they are, they are very thoughtful, mindful. If you speak to Leo Erazo about how he manages his water in Chile, you know, he, he's very, very, very careful about the, the, how much water he uses, how he recycles the water from the winery. So there's a lot of, of, of um, yeah, there's a lot of actions being taken like that. And can you just say a quick word about sulfur or, or more specifically sulfites in wine? Obviously, this is a big issue for natural wine. The emphasis tends to be on reducing or eliminating um, this in wine, as you said, to sort of maintain a living product. But there does seem to be a balance to, to be found. So can you just say a quick word about that too? You know, first of all, sulfite is a new additive. So I am sick of people saying people have been using sulfite since the Romans. Uh, and that was one of the big research I did for my book. It is not true. There is no trace, no evidence. I've spoken to a lot of, including Patrick McGovern, a lot of, you know, very good archaeologists, and they've never found residues of sulfites or sulfur inside a vessel that proved it was added. Uh, but it was used as a cleansing agent. So it's only really since the beginning of the 20th century we started using it as an additive. And the thing with sulfites is that I agree with you. You know, I, I'm not uh, completely like, you know, don't use any sulfites um, because you have to be very confident. Uh, and I think you have to know what you're doing. And this you know, it's a real choice not to use any, and use any sulfites. But sulfites are used at all stages of the winemaking process. Um, you know, they are an antibacterial, they are an, an antioxidant. Um, you know, there's a big thing in, in making wine where you don't really want your juice to brown, um, so you add sulfites. But, you know, actually, your juice goes brown, and then through the fermentation, it goes back to being pale again. So I think there's also, you know, the thing with natural wine is it's about also taking time and letting time do its thing. Um, and 
you know, over time, the wine will stabilize. Over time, the wine will ferment, but it might take three months. It might take two years. It might take two weeks, you know, so you, you don't have the same control. So I think sulfites, you can do away with using sulfites. I know a lot of people who do it really well. I think if you have a, a big problem and you have suddenly a bacterial problem, and I think it's better to use a little bit of sulfites and try and deal with that problem there and then, rather than let, you know, rather than bottle something which is not ready uh, or something which might be mousy or maybe excess volatile acidity, for example. Um, but overall, I think if you do a really great work in the vineyard and if you are able to take the time to make your wine, I think you can do away with using, you know, without using any sulfites. And the last word on sulfites is that, you know, there is a big difference between using 10 ppm or 10 parts per million or 10 milligram per liter versus 200 milligram per liter. And I think that's the problem is that nowadays, you know, in conventional winemaking, you can you can have very, very high levels of sulfites up to, for example, a white wine is uh, 150 or 200 ppm. I can't, I can't remember anyway, total for Europe. Whereas, you you know, in, in natural winemaking, maybe people might use nothing or use 10 parts or 20 parts. So it's also about that. And, and there's no way of telling because when you buy a bottle of wine, there's no ingredient labeling uh, regulation. So you, you don't know whether you're buying something that has a little bit or none or, or, or tons added. Would you be in favor of ingredient labeling for wine? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we've I've had so many conversations, you know, around this topic with officials. and But the wine industry is powerful and, and I think there's not a big incentive for them to, to suddenly, you know, disclose all these additives. It's quite shocking because that means that we're not, we're not considering wine as a food, but like, where does it go? You know, you ingest the wine, it goes in your body. So why is it not a food? You know, that's why I don't understand, but yeah, we, we need, we need more transparency because I think then people would can have a powerful choice and decide actually, this is what I want to put in my body or uh, this is not what I want to be drinking. Finally, um, what is it about natural wine that gets people so passionate, so sort of hot under the collar, both its its supporters and its detractors. I mean, I think that's changed quite a bit. Uh, you know, it was it was it was very divisive. Uh, you know, ten years ago, and I had a lot of hate mail. Um, you know, about about the topic. I think it's. Um, I don't know. I think people get really passionate about it, um, and I think maybe saying a product is natural means this is not natural. And I think that's been something that's quite hard to, to, to reconcile between, you know, I think, you know, the conventional and the natural wine industry, but that is really changing. And, and I see it now, you know, when we first did raw wine in London 10 years ago, I had only the hardcore natural wine, you know, battalion sort of turning up. Whereas now I get everybody who comes because everybody realizes actually they need some natural wine on their portfolio because there's a demand for it. So I think it's, I would say we're now, coexisting quite happily um, in the UK, at least, you know, I think places like Germany is a bit more different, but I think we're, we're well, look at, you know, we're talking. <laughs> happy, happy coexistence is the way forward. Uh, Isabel Lizeron, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me on the programme. So we have to reframe our expectation of wine. I mean, that's a, that's a really interesting perspective. <laughs> and I think it ties into why natural wine has become such a big thing. I mean, fundamentally, it's been about challenging the status quo, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, if you look at the bigger picture, I guess uh, natural wine uh, proponents would argue that all wine was pretty much natural until what, you know... Um, the industrial revolution yeah or the, or the arrival of the of synthetic herbicides pesticides yeah. fungicides fertilizers yeah. um things like commercial yeast enzymes yeah. Yeah, yeah. nutrients and yeah. and you know yeah. all the other processes yeah, i think so you know and, and after that well you know however we define that it just became easier to manipulate grapes in the vineyard and wines in the cellar mm. um which also you know interestingly coincided with a boom didn't it in wine growing all around the world in the 20th century and and really sort of large yeah, scale volume volume exactly yeah, yeah you know and i guess you know it just ended up with a lot of standardized you know homogenized wines that kind of looked and tasted very similar 
wherever they were made. Yep, and and that's um, I think that's when these funky, quirky, totally individual, natural wines mm. got a got a second wind to kind of challenge that homogenization of wine. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and the reason yeah. was that not only were growers getting fed up of appealing to one particular critic's taste or slavishly following one winemaker's rules, yeah. but but wine drinkers were getting fed up too. I mean, they, they clearly wanted um, authenticity mm. above that glossy sort of perfection, which I think was a lifestyle choice yeah. as much as a drinking decision. Yeah, that's really, I, I think that gets to the heart of it, you know, and that's why supporters of natural wine are so passionate, you know, because it's almost a sort of um, political, mm. you know, personal statement in support of this sort of individuality and, and authenticity, as you say. Um, but equally, you, know, you can see how this position is kind of guaranteed to get producers, you know, of what we might call conventional wine, really hot under the collar. Yeah. Um, because Which, if you yeah. call something natural, you are implicitly saying um, that all other Others, wines aren't natural. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, I mean, so you can see that. The, <laughs> can but see. but then, ironically, the same thing is happening now with clean wine, which yes, which yes. is. Definitely just nonsense. I mean, total yeah, yeah. marketing guff. Um, yeah, but yeah. well, we won't go that's, there that's, now. That's, should we not? Um, yeah, but I mean, at least natural wine has a value. You know, it's yeah. put this issue on the agenda. It started um, a much needed debate about mm. winemaking and sustainability. Mm. That's only going to it's only going to intensify. Yeah, um, yeah, and why, to be honest, it it does need to do better. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. It's easy for us to say as, as journalists here, but actually, you know, production sustainability wise, you know, wine, I agree. It, wine does mm. need to be better. I know, I'm just sort of thinking, though, at the same time, um, to make sure we've dotted the whatever it is and and, <laughs> and crossed the. Wine. the... <laughs> Have we properly cleared up Nick's question about what the definition of natural wine is? Oh, okay, okay. Well, let's summarise. Summarise okay. in terms of the definition. Yeah. Natural wine is probably best defined, I would say, as organically grown grapes made into wine with minimal intervention. That's putting it very simply, isn't it? I like that. That's good. Grown that, organically. That's, that's pretty good, actually. Yeah. Um, grown organically, made minimally. Um, what did Isabel say? Is it a, a living wine? Mm. You know? I mean, it's pretty good. Does it work? I don't know. Have we got there? It's pretty broad brush, isn't it, Nick? I hope we sort of have done more or less a good enough job. It's, I but think, it's necessarily broad brush, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there was an attempt to define it recently, wasn't there? Van yes. Méthode Nature um, was a charter for natural wine uh, launched mm. a few years back in France. Um, I think it's still in its trial period. Yeah, I think so. Um, but that charter said natural wine must, among other things, be made from certified mm. organic grapes, be hand-picked and made using indigenous yeast yeah because you can add sort of yeast yeah. in packets which are sort of guaranteed which have been sort of cultivated yes yeah, so but indigenous so yeast means you don't add any you yeast. don't the add yeast any are yeast. Already yeast there are there and, and they're indigenous yeah they're yeah. just yeah they're just in the winery um, i mean loads of things were banned um for example thermovinification reverse osmosis um and it also limited the amount of sulfites or sulfur dioxide that could be added yeah that's under the van method nature mm, charter, charter. Which, which is important to say it wasn't an official thing by the Institute in France. It was a sort of separate thing. It was a, it yeah. was a private thing, private yeah. initiative. But, a, a, uh, but attempt, it, it, try, it tried to codify, exactly. Um, but you could, I mean, I'm not sure I've seen that many producers using that designation, have you? No. Um, no, I haven't. Maybe, maybe we don't move in the right circles, I don't know, but maybe. I haven't sort of spotted it too much on Yeah, bottles. I mean, I, th- I think over there were over 200 growers that signed up initially. Oh, okay. um, but also raw wine mm. has stipulations for wines it endorses, mm. and uh, and I've got a list of, of those here as well. Yeah. And they're along similar lines. So we're talking organic or biodynamic farming, hand harvesting, no added yeasts, no blocked MLF, malolactic fermentation, no winemaking additives such as yeasts, enzymes, vitamins, and again, limits on sulfites. Um, there's but also vitamins. A... Vitamins were a, a nutrients for the yeast mm, to work yeah. rather than vitamins yes. for the wine itself. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Enzymes um, also help things happen faster. Don't faster, they? yeah. Reactions. I mean, they're all ways of manipulating your mm. winemaking, aren't they? Really. Um, and there's also a commitment to no heavy manipulation. Um, for example, via reverse of osmosis, cryo extraction. Mm. Uh, spinning cone, no sterile filtration, only vegetarian fining agents, um, and ultimately clear labelling if any process or processing agent 
has been used. Yeah, which I think is the way so forward. So just transparency, we, really. Know, labelling is part of that, isn't it? Um, ingredient labelling. Um, I think, just think, hey, listening to you say all that, I think maybe we need to do another programme on what's in today's winemaker's box of tricks. There's lots of stuff there, isn't well, it? If it I could say them, it would be good. <laughs> a lot of them are sort of processes, aren't they? It's they are, they stuff are. Stuff ends yeah. up in the wine, but yeah. it is, yeah, they can yes, be more exactly. or less invasive. They're things that you can do, um, um, not, not additions. But yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure how easy it will be ultimately to, to sort of codify and define and regulate natural wine. Mm. It, it's such a broad church by its nature, isn't it? It's tricky, isn't it? It yeah. really, really um, is. I mean, it's almost um, easier to define what it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, people who aren't making natural wine don't have to codify it, don't they? But, mm. you know, raw wine does say, and I, I read this on the, with interest on in their website, most wines today, including some Bordeaux, Cru, Classe and Grand Marc Champagne, are no, no longer made exclusively from grapes. They are products of the agrochemical food industry. Mm. Uh, wine has never been made with so many pesticides, additives, preservatives and processes. Oh, gosh. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> yet I think, as, I, I think, as Isabel also mentioned in the interview, things are changing, yeah. which is the important bit, isn't mm. it? Um, mm. And I think most forward-thinking winemakers, certainly the ones I've met recently, they realise they need to be more sustainable, more accountable, more transparent in what they do. You know, yeah. You, yeah. You, you could definitely argue the natural wine guys have helped spur yeah. this evolution, yeah. which yeah. is good. Yeah, no, I think ultimately that will actually end up being natural wine's main legacy mm. and main effect. You know, I think the crazy guys making really wacky stuff will always exist, you know, well done them, um, but it would always be niche. Um, yeah. But I think what is important is, you know, their example, their, their kind of really laudable principles and the proven popularity and impact of what they do mm. will actually end up dragging mainstream wine you know, even the great ones towards being ever more organic in the vineyard and ever lower intervention in the winery. And mm. and, and that's got to be a good thing. Well, hopefully in, when you say even the great ones, you think, well, importantly, that it is the great yeah, ones yeah, that do this. Yeah. You know, they, they, they want, need to, they need to, to do it mm. um, to, to sort of, again, you know, set set the benchmark. Um, yes. And I think it, it, it's essential for wine's future. You know, it's, it's about sustainability in the true sense, you know, making your business sustainable, mm. the whole yes. business. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, wine doesn't just need a healthy planet and a place to grow it also needs people who want to buy it mm. who want to mm. drink it who get excited yeah. by it yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that is what yeah. natural wine does yeah. so well yeah, that's absolutely yeah. anyway on that note shall we bring in mel yes uh, good idea yeah yeah mel mel Zanaki is the assistant winemaker at tetramithos in the peloponnese in greece now if like me you need a refresher on that the peloponnese is that big chunk uh, on the bottom of mainland Greece to the west of Athens. Does the that only help? reason I know vaguely where it is because of holidays. It sounds <laughs> well, terrible. Whatever, it? whatever compass you use, uh, <laughs> it is a, a quite important winemaking area in Greece. The winery, this winery, is actually quite high up. Uh, the vineyards stretch up to a thousand meters above sea level, above the Gulf of Corinth. It's a beautiful setting. Um, they're organic. They focus on making terroir-driven wines from local grapes uh, with low-intervention winemaking. Um, now I caught up with Mel at a tasting, um, hence the background noise and slightly dodgy. <laughs> sound quality sorry about that uh, but anyway uh, I, I asked her what natural winemaking meant for her well it's nowadays it's kind of hard to uh, introduce yourself as a natural winemaker because sometimes it can be offensive to the uh, we can say um, co not commercial but uh, mainstream, the mainstream, mainstream. Uh, vinifications um, in the winery, we had always been uh, into these uh, spontaneous alcoholic fermentations. We have never used any commercial yeast, but uh, for us it's just uh, like an ethical approach to what we face every day in the place that we live. So um, for us it's just being honest with ourselves and uh, just follow the path that uh, nature is uh, showing to you. So we. We are lucky enough to be in a place that actually always uh, gives us low yields, high quality grapes. And by that I mean that it's, it will be a, a paradox to uh, actually go in the middle and change uh, the, the acidities and uh, the pH levels. It's something that we have uh, really easily. Uh, in this place. And you do use, some natural wine producers don't use any sulfur dioxide. You do use a little bit, don't you? So, so why do you do that? Well, we do that because we don't want to be uh, completely oxidised. I mean that definitely some of our wines can handle really nice uh, through the years without any sulfites because we have experiments so far in the past. 
but uh, our wines are being exported in 22 different countries and they travel really far away. So we only do a small uh, sulfite addition just before bottling. And uh, it's enough, so that's what uh, the years have actually proven that uh, this amount of sulfites that it's always more or less like 35 uh, milligrams per liter uh, total sulfites addition it's enough to protect the wines in order to travel and evolve through the years and do you think that um, natural the way that natural wine producers are making wine low intervention respecting nature do you think this is influencing mainstream wine do you think people are coming more and more towards this and this might be the future it's a global trend and I think that we are in a critical point uh, because definitely, yes, there is an influence in the mainstream wines, if we can call them like this. Um, but there is the danger that you, you all very often see some uh, mainstream wineries just releasing one uh, natural wine uh, label. Um, but I think that definitely there has to be uh, a legislation scheme that everybody will go under and we will talk under the same, um, we can say, rules. So we can actually define what is a natural wine. And either we like it or not, uh, with the global climate change, uh, the future is being organic. So we have to respect that. And yeah, if we can be organic, then why not being also a little bit more natural or more low intervention? Uh, why not? And I've just tried some of your, you have an amazing Sauvignon Blanc, um, and, and you're going to have to pronou pronounce this one for me. <laughs> this is a, a grape variety called Agripiotis, which uh, it was actually a revival of this uh, rare grape variety of Peloponnese. It's a very local grape variety of uh, mountainous Eyalia, the region that we are. So it's actually the second grape variety that we revive. And it's a heritage for us that we want to take after and... Uh, uh, to save actually. So uh, we found some plants of Agripiotis among other uh, grape varieties that we cultivate and we created a new vineyard out of them and it's just a small experimental vineyard and so far it's like uh, five years old and the results are uh, really pleasing. Uh, it's absolutely delicious. Now thank you very much indeed. Thank you. There you go, that critical point mm. for wine you were talking about. Um, <laughs> the future's all about organic and low intervention. Yeah, yeah. certainly when it tastes as good as those wines did. Tell you what, um, even if I couldn't pronounce them properly, <laughs> uh, that's how much of a good time I was having with Mel. So, um, so what were they? Go on. Go okay, on. So, so, yeah, the wines that I, I particularly were impressed by were the Tetramethos Sauvignon Blanc Nature. 2021. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, Sauvignon Blanc is not, we said they focus on local grape. It's not a local grape, um, but it was planted in the 1990s for the exports. And they've kind of, they, they could have got rid of all of those plants, but they, they kept a couple uh, mm. or some of them just because they were so good. I mean, these Sauvignon Blanc uh, uh, vines are planted at over a thousand meters. So some of, the, some of the highest on these? So the highest, hence the freshness. Yeah. Um, they, they fermented, they finished ferment in large foodras. And do you know what? It's totally delicious that way. It's it's full on, of just, kind of yes. Go and describe it. Then. Smoky asparagus. Is it like it is like Sauvignon? But it is like Sauvignon, but it's also not like Sauvignon. And the palate is where it shines. I think it's mineral. It's tense. It's you know. It's sort of partly what Isabel was talking about in terms of redefining the potential of a great variety like Sauvignon Blanc. It's the last thing you'd expect in this part of Greece. And it does have some Sauvignon characteristics, but it also has other things which sort of slightly defy those. And it, it's mm. just delicious and a little bit different. Um, it's that was twenty four quid at the sourcing table that wine. Okay, okay. And was that and it? That was or... No, there was another one. That, that Agripiotis, uh, Tetramethos Agripiotis Orange. Agripiotis. Indeed, Nature 2021. So mm. that's, uh, you know, the local local uh, variety they have. And it's it's got slightly more sort of aromatic, sort of more tangerine and peachy aromas. But again, a really sort of serious, spicy, sort of dense palette with so much energy. It's just really different, but absolutely mm. beautiful. And that was 25 quid at the sourcing table. So similar prices. And both, both but... completely dry wines. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful whites in very, very different styles. Mm. Anyway, so we also wanted to taste a few wines, didn't we, that we belong that we belong mm. to the, the raw wine portfolio. Mm. Um, and the first one, I, I mean, I just really love this. So it's it's a yeah. test along. I've got the I've got the bottle here and uh, it is just Oh, it's so good. It's it's Testa Longa El Bandito. This is not what I describe as a serious 
kind of wine. It's it's not a challengingly <laughs> serious wine. Have to be serious? It's no, exactly. It seriously doesn't. Um, so it's El Bandito. I wish I was a ninja. 2021. Well, it's from Swatland in yeah. South Africa. Ooh, ninja, um, ancestral method. So it's fizzy. Um, it's only eight and a half percent alcohol, which mm. I loved because I thought I can drink a bit more of it. It's got a really kind of cool, fun label of a guy in a swimming pool with sunglasses on and you know a, a baseball cap. But it's just, it, it's a little bit rustic. It's off dry. You've got lots of sort of honey, quince, pears, that kind of um, rustic sort of fruity mm. taste. As I say, off dry and fizzy. I mean, for me, it's like, um, you know, I hope nobody's going to, I hope Isabel doesn't mind me saying this, but it's like a great alternative to Prosecco because it is just, mm. it's got much more character, but you're getting the same kind of fun fizz that's not high in alcohol. And as I say, it's got that touch of sweetness. I thought summer party drinking, it's just lovely. Yeah, it's quite fun, isn't it? It's, it's 23 quid at Raw Wine. Um, it's made by Craig and Carla Hawkins. I, I remember visiting them a few years back. They are amazing. They're brilliant. They, they love doing things which are different and kind of challenge the stereotypes and they just make fun wines. And, and I, I agree. I think it's really fun, um, a little bit different, hard to sort of, place really yeah, where it yeah, sits yeah, you know, yeah. no I don't know I mean you've just got to drink it and yeah, not worry about where it's it. from or what it's doing or it's what it's cool. trying to be it it's looks just, very it's just nice. very cool yeah. and it yeah, is yeah. nice now, and you can drink the, lots the, of it I, yeah I mean, I've got one here which I really like as well which is the this is from Georgia so this is the Gotza 2019 Kizi uh, Kihivi dry unfiltered amber wine <laughs> say it again from uh, Katli. Um this is 20 quid at raw wine this is uh, it's obviously amber white wine it's, this was amazing so it's a biodynamic estate um, it's 1,300 metres above sea level so it's quite high altitude made in Kvevri unfiltered seven months on the skins uh, from those two great varieties Kisi and Kihivi um, and you know it's got this amazingly deep amber hue doesn't it and you look at it and you think oh my god you know this is yeah. like and I, when we old. first tried it I just wasn't <laughs> totally sure you were, were no you? you were much more convinced than i was but what was so interesting about this wine was every time we went back to it and we, we sort of kept we kept we, we we restrained ourselves and we kept it over a few days and i really thought every time i went back to it i liked it a little bit more mm. and it, what was great about it the way how versatile it was with food it really and it went what it, it went with really, duck once we tried it with conte didn't we first some lovely was, old oh. what you need some lovely old sort of nutty cheese like conte or gruyere yeah. and oh my goodness that was so good but wasn't it went it? you know it went with meat it went with chicken it went with fish it yeah. went with so many things and it yeah, yeah. backed up what, what john was saying in the last episode about how well orange wines goes with a range of different yeah. foods on the table i was um, really impressed with but that it's, you know yeah. it's got that classic sort of quince jelly ginger marmalade mm. kind of orange rind pithy, aromas pithy, pithy, a bit and chalky. definitely a lot of quite fiery and fi- sort of Fiery? Fiery, fiery, I think. Fiery, <laughs> fiery and, and fierce. 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 It's a fiery. That's the new word. Uh, t- I was using it to describe the tannins. They're quite sort of, you know, they're full well, of. I, I mean, when I first tasted it, I wrote like her, hair shirt. It, you know, it was yeah. quite, a, quite a difficult wine to like immediately. But I, I do think we both felt the more you drank it, the more mm. it sort of just. I don't know. Became a friend. It was. It was yeah. really lovely. It was. It was. It yeah. was a stonking wine. Yeah. I think uh, needs best with food. You know, yeah, serious, definitely food contemplative, wine. Food, meditative food wine. wine. You know, pour yourself a glass yeah. and just think about stuff. Uh, but really, really good. So, so we like yeah. now. The last one was a red wine, also from Georgia. But this definitely polarised us, doesn't it? It did because you were you were not a big fan, but I was. So I'm going to start. <laughs> my, my note says, "Is, the, is um, it safe to drink? Is it safe to drink?" <laughs> <laughs> That's um, oh, always a talking point, isn't it? This is the <laughs> Nicolas Marani 2020. Um, this is from Cajeti, um, and it's 22 quid at raw wine. It's made from 70% Budeshuri Saperavi and 30% Saperavi uh, fermented in Creverie without skins, um, which is a point which they did particularly because Saperavi has kind of fearsome tannins. And so mm. they actually tried to make it a bit more elegant. Now, this was, it's a, it's a, fun funky old wine it's kind of like i i summed it up by saying it's a cross between if you can imagine a blend of nebbiolo with south australian grenache and greek sinomavro with some tawny port added to it too because it's kind of oxidative it's kind of got a little bit of residual sweetness in there mm. it's kind of funky it's got juicy fruit quite fierce tannin still and you know that slightly oxidative kick on the edge mm. on the end it's full-on it I think it sort of scared you, didn't it? It's a bit weird for me. Yes, yeah, yeah, a bit out there. Um, I, I think I think this is one that, like you say, it, it's it polarised us, and I think it's one to try. You know, just because I don't think there's any, there's there's no 
right and wrong with this mm. wine. You know, if you like it, you like it. Yeah. I just found it, it tipped me into that. <laughs> Over the edge of that slight, well, I won't say what I've my moral notes said. Abyss, the, yeah, uh, I, I just couldn't quite get to grips with it, and I kept going back and thinking it's just not for me. Existential this. angst. Mm. This is where. Okay, so there but, we have it. Yeah, yes. I know. I, yeah. But I thought it's lovely, and I think a lot of people would like it because actually, it is. It is kind of crazy, but it's actually kind of quite lovely as well, and quite mm. winning in in that absolutely sort of slightly bizarre, <laughs> one you funky, over, rustic well way. Uh, I loved it. So, anyway, so there we are. We don't. There we have agree. all the latest chat about natural wines plus <laughs> a couple of recommendations uh, Nick we do hope we have answered your questions yeah, yeah but just on that note you know talking about tasting uh, I can't quite let it go you know do these wines taste natural is this something we can taste you know mm. or, uh, you know do they taste like living wines as Isabel put it you know she said there's no great wines unless they're natural can we taste that you know could you say you know pick these as natural if you tasted them blind it was a good question. Very good question. Yeah. I mean, when you say living, though, I think every wine's duty is to taste like it's a living wine. It's not just mm. a dead, boring yeah. thing. Wine should be living. Absolutely. It has a story to tell. It's yep. it's changing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what, I, what I would say is I don't think I defy anyone to taste organic or unfined or whatever yeah. Yeah, individually. Yeah. Mm. Um, what you what you can taste obviously are faults or extreme yeah. funkiness um so yeah. that last georgian yeah. red maybe yeah. um and obviously you can taste skin contact whites or yeah. orange amber wines which which are often but not always you know naturally made mm. Mm. Um, but but cumulatively i would say there's often a kind of a natural feel to wines some to the, to some wines yeah yeah, yeah. so see so it's it's an energy it's a vibrancy um a, a real individuality mm. um sometimes there is a bit of funkiness there great um and all of that can be evident so as a whole you know we yeah. often as you know we will sit and if we order a bottle of wine we'll go mm. it's got quite a natural mm. feel to it hasn't mm. it mm. and and it's not picking up on one specific thing and saying it's definitely yeah. got that and you don't need to why no. do you need to but equally I, I do just wonder if that's not why they're they're sort of so popular as well because those the, that that cumulative effect of all those things mm. together actually creates wines which is quite individual and yeah. a bit different and really, really interesting to drink. Mm, anyway, mm. do check out Raw Wine, um, including mm. their events and their new wine club in the US. Um, you can get a 20% off your first case if you use the code CLUB20, C-L-U-B-20. You I remembered. did, I remembered. I remembered Damn. even after all this delicious uh, natural wine. <laughs> You're a better wine expert than me. Uh, on which note, uh, if you'd like to explore natural wine a bit more, then we'd recommend Isabel's book, uh, Natural Wine. Uh, we'd also recommend Wine Revolution by Jane Anson. Um, and there are also a couple of good ones by Alice Firing too. Uh, the Battle for Wine and Love is her best, to my mind. Uh, but Naked Wine, which is more specifically on this, is also a good one. Well worth checking out. Yeah, and there are, of course, other natural wine events too, uh, like yeah. the Real Wine Fair, which happens in London towards the end of May, mm-hmm. um, as well as lots of others around the world, particularly particularly the US, I think, and Australia. Mm. Um, they're often great fun. And I would say the best way to find out more about the wines and producers and mm. the natural wine scene in general. Yeah, yeah, and of course, there are loads of uh, what seems like loads of natural wine bars and shops uh, all over, aren't there, mm. as per Nick's question. Um, there's a directory on Raw Wines website, but, you know, just have a look around and I'm sure... Sh- Sure, you'll find some. Um, we used to what was it? We used to love Terroir in mm. Central London, didn't we? Before it mm. closed, we did, we did. But I think they still have a branch in East Dulwich, don't they? Yeah. yeah. And, and then yeah, the Swaff so. in Battersea. Mm. Anyway, before we run out of the door to our nearest natural wine bar, we mm. should of course say goodbye. Um, our thanks mm. to Isabel Legeron and Mel Kasnaki. Thanks to you for listening. If you're minded to leave a nice rating and review, please do, especially on Spotify. Uh, we'd really appreciate that. Um, all details, links, and pictures as ever are on our show notes and website susieandpeter.com so until next time cheers